Founder Journey back on the ground in Canada. We are continuing our international spin to this season with an interview with Joanne Chang from Picolage. Joanne is originally from Taiwan. Picolage is a Taiwanese and US company that has expanded into Vancouver. Not every journey to start up life is straightforward. Joanne and I talk about bucking cultural trends and expectations and discovering your own passion and purpose in life as a startup founder. We also talk about the continuous growth you experience through your founder journey and the ups and downs that brings, not just economically, but mentally. We are back again with another episode of Founder Journey. I am still doing a season that's dedicated to international founders, but we are back in Vancouver uh, and we're joined by with Joanne Chang from Pick Collage, originally from Taiwan. And so we're still sticking with the international theme here. We're going to talk about the tech ecosystem in Taiwan and, and uh, what's the great magic that's happening there. But Joanne has now moved to Vancouver and is building and expanding her company through North America uh, from Vancouver. Joanne, welcome to Founder Journey. Uh, please tell us a little bit about Picolage and then tell us about yourself and your journey. Hi, thanks, Ray. Thanks for inviting me in here. It's super fun. Um, so Picolage, let me see. Uh, Picolage was one of the apps uh, that we created, kind of like the beginning of the time when we started doing iOS apps. Before that, um, we actually were doing Facebook apps. So, so we're um, really going back here into the olden days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got Facebook apps. That's probably like yeah. circa 2007, 2008. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, iPhone didn't come out till 2008. So uh-huh. Picolage probably, what, 2009? Yeah, 2000, uh, 2009, 2010, 2000, 2009, yeah. 10. Okay, well, go back. Facebook, yeah. you're building Facebook apps. What, what was the experience like? So initially, this company was founded by our two original founders, and they um, they met in Stanford, and then they went, were at a company together, and then they decided to leave the company and start their own thing. So one of them was in uh, the Bay Area, the other one was in Hong Kong, and they kind of like worked remote together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they uh, caught on the wave of like the Facebook developer age. Where they were like Facebook was really uh, encouraging developers like work on like Facebook apps, yeah. so they tried multiple things, and um, it seems that they always wanted wanted to do something serious. So they started with like business card apps, but that didn't work. So then uh, they they went out and like having dinner with friends, and then they started talking about dim sum, and then they did a dim sum app, and then that kind of worked. Like more people were coming on, they're like, yeah. oh, okay, uh, something something more fun seems to work a little bit better. Um, I think after that, um, our CEO had an idea about like uh, something that had to do with the stock market. So he put together this like casual game, which is like buying and selling your friends. Uh, (laughs) Buying and selling your friends. (laughs) Yeah. It's like at the time you had like those casual games. Yeah. Well, I I was just getting flashbacks. I'm I'm dating myself here. Like Facebook apps back then it was, it was Zynga was the powerhouse and Farmville and, and other types of, um, games i guess at that farm bill you're buying and selling sheep and and, mm-hmm. and carrots mm-hmm. you just take that and say okay well let's apply to our friends and buy and sell our friends yeah so at the time there were a few of these types of um apps around and the story that i heard was that um at the time there was another one i forgot the name of it but a lot of the gamers were there and then friend stock launched 
Um, and then I think Friendstock was the app. Yeah. That, okay. That Friendstock was the app. And then I think that other game crashed. Like they were out for a day or something. And then the gamers were really bored, right? So the, you think of it as like not, don't think of it digitally. Think of it as like a town, right? So, you know, this bar is out, right? Yeah. Because like, you know, no, they, they can't open that down, day. So it's shut down. So everybody's like, yeah, they're all bored, right? So they're like, where, where are we going to go to their, our next joint, right? So then they come onto Friendstock, right? And it's new. And then, you know, you can start, you know, raking up points really fast. And they were like really happy about that. And then they, they, they just settled there, turned it into home and they started bringing their, their other friends over. So then it got more and more popular. And that's how um, they were able to get like their first like bootstrap, uh, and kind of like that bootstrap uh, money in and um, try to build the next thing. So then uh, at that time, I think um, there was the crash. With the 2008 crash. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know that all too very well. <laughs> there was the crash. And then our CEO was like, you know, Bay Area is, is like dead, like nothing's happening there. So he wanted to explore other places. So he decided to come to Taiwan and that's where he met me and our other co-founder. So we have four co-founders in, in total. So at the time I knew of our CEO from a friend of a friend. Mm. I always knew about this person, but I never met this person. And I was like, always like listening to stories about this person. And then finally I meet this person and, um, yeah, it turned into an interview. I thought it was just like, check it out. Yeah. And then he was like, do you know how to do this? Because at the time I was doing HR at like an insurance company. And for me, I wasn't like, at the time there was no Facebook in Taiwan. And um, the whole mentality is everybody wants their kids to go to like, you know, big companies, right? Yeah. That's the thing. So nobody really wanted me to go to big companies. It just felt like a thing to go to a big company. So I was always thinking, okay, I got to be at a big company. So I, I did that. And it, um, I wasn't really uh, interested in doing HR stuff, I guess. Like for me, my, my whole uh, going to work was all about like making the PowerPoint presentations look great and mm -hmm. like dressing really nicely. <laughs> That's it. So that, I guess those are the two places where I was like using my, my visual, like I get to play with my, my visual sense. So then, um, yeah, so I, I, I didn't, I, I stopped working at the insurance company as HR and then, uh, our CEO contacted me. I went into the office and then he was like, so you want to help out? And I'm like, uh, okay. So I went in and then, um, you know, after a while, it's kind of like, you know, I think I really need a like a full-time job. So then I started going out like interviewing and then I think he saw because I started wearing like, you know, interview clothes. And then he, he got, I think he got nervous. And then he, like, was oh no, like, I'm gonna lose her. he was like, okay, so, you know, how much like, you know, no, what, what do you want as like a real salary? And then, and then I was like, oh, wow, this is turning into a real job. And I was really not sure about this. So then I started, so I asked the headhunter and then the headhunter told me, you know, you could always go out and get a bit like a, a job at a big company, but these startup things, like you don't know when you're going to stumble across another good opportunity, right? You should just do it. I was like, what? And then I asked my parents and they're like, yeah, I think you should do this. This is more suited for you. I'm like, what? And then I asked my <laughs> friends and then they were like, oh yeah, this sounds actually more. So more. counterintuitive from every other Asian uh, parent coming out and saying, no, 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 go work at KPMG, go work at uh, Deloitte or EY, like take that big company job. It's like, no, hey, Joanne, I think you're better suited for this crazy adventure called yeah. a startup. And I was like, what? And then all of a sudden I was like questioning, how do people actually see me, right? It was like, I, I had a vision, a different separate vision of myself than other people. So I was like, oh, okay. So then I tried it out. Um, 
For me, I did not know what the startup world was all about. Our CEO, there was setting up the operations in Taiwan, which was, to me, it was bizarre because it's like just a company with just a few people, but I still have to like put together the structure of like a big company, right? So think about when you're in a big company, right? You like, like uh, for foreigners, you have to have like, you know, some kind of process for that. And yeah. usually in a big company, you have like, you know, 10, like 10. A team to a help team, you. Yeah, to, yeah, to like put together like uh, the foreign like employee part. But then we only have like how many people? And we also have to set that structure up too. So for me, I was like, this is so weird and so insane. And the only time when I really, I think the time that I really felt comfortable about it was when I found our accounting firm and they were upstairs and then they needed to, they needed me to sign something and they came down and they knocked on the door and said, Hey, you need, I know you, you need to help me sign this. And I was like, wait a minute, this is like a real company. Like before it's like, it's just that before it's all one building and you're like, in, that's like your company building. Yeah. But if you're in a startup, right, what you're doing is the same as in a big company, but it's just that they're not in the same company as you. So I was kind of like, oh, that was kind of the first time. Like where having an external accounting firm working for you and, and you having to liaise with them and work with them, and, but it's not an internal department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, and I think it's just the physicality. Like you, if it were just email, I would kind of feel like it's still really far. But like to have that guy like run downstairs and then knock on the door and say, hey, you know, I need you to sign this. It made me feel like, oh, actually, this feels exactly like I was in like a real company. So, so Friendstock was the moneymaker, the mm-hmm. bread, bringing in all the users, bringing in all, all the revenue from ad revenue, I'm assuming. But you had this user base. And so you as a group were starting to iterate on different ideas and different products, different apps. Uh, I'm assuming there's still Facebook apps at this time. And how can we leverage this install base and and introduce them to new apps. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't that strict. I guess it, it was that direction yeah. where it was like, okay, we Not need to, structure, but yeah, we of. need to kind of like figure out the next thing. Right. And then the revenue from, from like friend stock was like starting to go down. So it was like, hmm, we need to like try to figure out how do we build the next thing. Right. So then we tried multiple different things. There was something called like a quiz creator. I think what one of the learning from that was that it was doing really well until I think the database disappeared or something. <laughs> And then the whole oh, thing lost the database. <laughs> so then it was like, it's like the next day we come in, it's like, oh, you know, it's all gone. It's like, what? So then I think that learning is that, oh, I guess there, you always have to have a backup or something. I guess that's more of the tech side of stuff. That, that, that seemed a bit traumatizing. <laughs> Tough lesson to learn, but <laughs> lesson nonetheless. So the reason why we got to pick collage is because um, multiple reasons. Uh, one is I think we were thinking, uh, how do we like, you know, how do we get the company to the next step? Um and this was more of the genius of my other co-founders. I was like more like kind of like diving into like uh, learning different things. But uh, they they felt like we still needed to have like a Silicon Valley presence. People who upload photos, you know, good users. Uh, iPads coming out, you know, I think maybe a lot of grandparents would like that. Okay, good idea. And then our CTO, he wanted to try out um, iOS apps. Uh, we needed a prototype uh, to... Um, apply for incubator programs in the Bay Area. So he turned that into like a photo collage app, which is the very first prototype for pic collage. It was just like, you can't even save anything. You have to take a screenshot if you want to like save your collage and everything. (laughs) I think the idea was that it was fun, intuitive, and um, because the code was really good, so then it was like really smooth. 
So I think that was one of the main like you know buying points and features of that. So um, they took that prototype around and uh, went to different incubators, and we got accepted to uh, 500 startups. So we were this is batch, Bay Area 500 startups. Yes. Yeah. So we were batch one. There was batch zero before us. So we were like the second batch. So it was relatively new. It was pretty cool. Um, before that, I went to uh, Parsons for a one-month uh, illustration course because I, I decided I wanted to do design. And that was like a lot of fun. I think that gave me a little bit of confidence to go to the next step because right after that month, um, we were at the incubator program at 500 Startups. And um, I think that was a very important step in our growth because before we were kind of like, it was more developer heavy. Mm -hmm. So like everything kind of was built by the developer. We weren't really thinking that much about UX UI. And then it was kind of like, I was always thinking, you know, never really looks done. It's kind of clunky, but I don't really know how to say this. And then from 500 Startups, I think they gave a lot of really good mentorship, especially in like usability and UI design, yeah. where they would ask us like, a lot of the things that they would ask us is like, how is that user experience from when you uh, look at the, and then download the app with, and then so go the into the app. user journey. Yeah, the either. actual user journey, like the steps of that. And I think from there, we became really conscious about this. This is really interesting. So, so not only are you now this founder of a startup, startup culture, startup life is all brand new to you and you're kind of going through all the motions. You yourself started to have some self-discovery of what is it that you really wanted to do? Where's your passion? And you started shifting towards design. And, and uh, I was saying this earlier offline, like we always said that uh, a perfect founding team with early stage startups has, has three parts of a triangle, three core uh, skill sets. The first one is the CEO because you need a mouthpiece. You need somebody out there to talk, 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 talk and evangelize and, and build network and whatnot. The th second one is a CTO, so somebody that has a technical expertise that can actually build a product, build an MVP that can get um, uh, in the hands of potential customers and users. The third one that's most often missing is UI UX. It's that design mentality, the, the person that actually understands how to make something functional, uh, something that can be functional in the hands of the users and, and identify that journey. And so you basically shoehorn yourself into that role and started to make that your persona and who you are, that, that UI UX unicorn that everybody's looking for. But to, to have that in the founding team, it's, it's rare and uh, it's definitely noticed when it is there. Well, I would say that um, I'm very lucky because um, our CTO actually cares a lot about UI, like UI and how like that experience yep. is. Um, so he he cared a lot about that. Our CEO actually also cares a lot about that. So he he kind of like he he was really like he really wanted to have that process where uh, we would have user feedback uh, sessions every week, and we still have that up to now. Well, the other thing to keep in mind though, this is 2010, correct? And mm -hmm. so again, back then in 2010, 12 years ago, the UI UX wasn't as 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 emphasized and user journeys and user feedback. Um, people were just focused on on shipping product, getting stuff out there, getting like iterating, and it's not perfect. That's fine. It's MVP, test it, but. Uh, fast forward today, people wouldn't think about pushing stuff out unless they've gone through some UI UX uh, uh, sessions and strategies. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you as a team and, and your CTO and your CEO for understanding how important UI UX was back then. 
Yeah, I think that really, really, we, we have a lot to thank uh, 500 startups for, for like, you know, putting that into their process and like teaching us all of these uh, things. Um, so I think, yeah, there were like many aspects to it. For me, I was more, I think looking back, my role of the team, I'm a lot like a, a creative, like more of like the creative person, um, problem solving. Uh, I, I put more emphasis on, on the visuals. Mm -hmm. Um, our other co-founder, she, she's a very, I think I would say she's very practical. Like she's the very practical person. The reason why we have the name Pit Collage is because she's just very practical at the time. So at the time we had, uh, they were, again, we started from trying, like we got into 500 startups. Again, we wanted to do something serious. I did my own serious research, which is like looking at the competitors at the time, every single uh, photo app or collage app looks like it was made by a developer. It always had a corkboard background. It always looked like, you know, these like really like stock uh, stock vector components yeah. and I was like we should do something different like let's let's do this like hand drawn like hand hand like a hand drawn hand and then like these like like hand drawn elements to it so it, it looked more fun so I wouldn't say that it was like a really good piece of work but I would say that it looked different it was from, different enough that yes. it got people's attention mm -hmm. it was different enough and I think the usability of it was probably pretty cool because like it was like very easy to like shift around like the the photos and everything. Our other uh, co-founder, which is more of a our product person at the time, she's very practical and she's like, okay, let's just a simple name, pick collage. So at the time, nobody was thinking too much about it. It was just like, okay, some icons, the name out there, and then it was like, whew, it was just like, it just took off. It just took off. It was very popular from the start, and then it was like, oh, okay. this is an iOS app. Yes. Yeah. And we were like, oh, okay. What's going on here? So then it was like, I guess we continue to iterate on it. So then we would iterate on it and, um, you know, make it better and better. And um, yeah, that's kind of how so, the journey so fast began. fast forward now, 2022, I just realized, oh, <laughs> it's 2022 now. Yeah. Um, where's where's Pick Collage now? So we have around 250 million downloads, perhaps around 1.5 million MAU, I guess. We've been profitable for like four to five years now. Um, growth is very healthy growth. Uh, the team is a very thriving, young, and like creative, happy team. The internationally distributed, uh, concentrated in Taiwan. Like, where, where's 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 the bulk of the people? Yeah, so it's concentrated in Taiwan. Right now, we have two people in Vancouver, uh, one person in South Africa. We just hired someone in France, and yeah, one person in Italy. This, as founder journeys, there's there's a kind of theme to what we talk about with our founders. It's it's kind of the the shit that nobody talks about. And I want to learn from you. What are some of the things that you wish you knew or you wish other founders were talking about when you were getting started? We kind of gone through your journey, and you're really thrown into startup life and and uh, uh, realization of who you are, what you are passionate about. But what is it that you wish? you heard or what are some of the challenges that you're facing that you want to share um, and, and want other founders to know? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a little, it wasn't as like, although Picolage jump-started my design career, it wasn't, I didn't get to the thing that I wanted uh, in the very beginning. I actually had to go through, for example, UX, UI. So although we had, uh, our co-founders had really good sense about UX, UI, um, I still kind of had to figure out how, like, yeah, what. They, they knew what they wanted, they just didn't know how to make what they wanted uh, or get to where they want. Yeah, they have to be. good sense. But yeah. like for the details, you still need to hire someone who's like, who really knows about this. For me, my main job here was to figure out what UX UI is, what 
like what is the learning in there? What's a good direction for it? What it what's user journey? What are all these different things uh, that it entails? And um, being able to find help find that person to be the UX UI designer and to be able to take that role. I think one of the things that uh, was a little bit of a mindset shift is um, having to realize that actually when you're a founder, you have to find people who are better than you. You can't have the feeling that uh, you're better than them. So that's actually one thing. It takes a li- like in the beginning, I think it does take a little bit of a mindset shift. But when you find when, when you finally find that person that does things so well, you're just like, oh, my gosh, that's well, this, so good. This is like an ongoing <laughs> challenge with a lot of founders is, is knowing your strengths, but also knowing more importantly, your weaknesses. But then even more importantly, is being able to delegate to other people and offloading stuff off your plate um, because typically as a founder, you're starting up, you don't have a lot of money, so you're, you're responsible for doing so many things. And it takes time to delegate and train somebody else to take over uh, and still keep your vision. But if you don't do that, you're never going to have the time and freedom to take yourself and your role to the next level. And as your company's growing and scaling, it's necessary. Yeah, it's definitely really necessary to find people who are really better than you. Um, but sometimes there's a lot of challenge that goes into there. For example, you might feel that it's best to hire people that are better than you. Mm -hmm. But as you have like a bigger team, then you have to deal with like the expectations of different people. And sometimes other people think that actually because you're the founder or you're the lead here, you're actually supposed to be better than other people. And then they would look at you and say, why aren't you like performing better? Because I feel like in our team, we're we're a very um, actions like a very executional actions oriented team. So we want to see results. We want to see your designs. But oftentimes when you're designing like a system, it's very hard for you to be like in it, designing things and also designing the system at the same time. And sometimes you just have to give up and just like, okay, I'm just going to be more of the concept person. I can give like the direction, but then like I might not really be hands-on, like be the person who's um, executing it to, to the best that it's supposed to look, right? But then for for some other people, they might have different expectations, right? So some people might see this and they're like, "What are you doing? You're not doing anything. Yeah. I don't I don't see you doing any work. You didn't do that." So then, like, you're it's like having how do you deal with like these like complicated emotions, right? Yeah, I wouldn't call it imposter syndrome, but it's really like guilt. Like, I I should be as a founder neck deep in those designs, but no, you shouldn't because. You've hired people to do that and you've hired people better than you to do that. And that gives you the freedom to be doing other things that are critical. But because it's customer facing or front facing, your name and your your designs aren't on it. Is that a negative thing? Yeah. So that's yeah, I think there there are sometimes uh, not just founders, but also in like the as we have management, Mm -hmm. the management team, um, it becomes very hard because if. If we're so focused on like tangibles of like, did you really get this done? Did, did people see this? Then it's very hard sometimes for like management work or work that has to do with a lot of like research or structure or building up that structure. It's hard for people to see anything concrete there mm-hmm. because sometimes that's like a journey. And sometimes you might do a lot of like search, but people don't really see the results of that. And that result kind of comes afterwards or it builds upon something else at yeah. a different time. So how do you, how do you, I think that has been kind of one of the struggles I've, I've been through for a while because it's like, how do I show that I'm doing something? And sometimes like there are times where I'm very, I feel very guilty for like just kind of like spacing out for hours 
And then I'm like, oh, am I wasting time? But then I'm really, I'm realizing, no, I'm not really wasting time. I'm actually thinking about a lot of structure and a lot of things. Yeah. It's just that he didn't write it down. So then I, I do feel uh, there were times where I feel a lot of guilt for feeling like, did I am I slacking off? Like I, I didn't make anything or I didn't create anything. Like, does that mean that, you know, like people are going to judge me for that? Like sometimes you do have a little bit of fear of that. I think I've gotten a little bit better with that now, especially since um, I think before, because it's also learning. So for, for us, right, we're all learning. It's not like yeah. we're perfect. So that's another that's another dimension here, right? So you hire a lot of great people, but then they, they come back and look at you and sometimes they might expect you to be perfect, right? But then you're actually learning as you're going. You're not perfect. Yeah, there's actually. constant learning and, and they might be coming in thinking, oh, I'm going to learn from you. But you actually, if you hire properly, you're going to be learning more from them than they are from you. And that's just the reality. Yeah. So it's very, I think nearing the like, you know, mid, uh, mid, mid part of the startup journey till now, it's a lot of like understanding these expectations and how people and how do you deal with these expectations and, and how you feel about them. Uh, I personally, I feel like that I'm, I'm doing a lot better than before because I think before I was still trying to learn that process. So when you're in the middle of learning something, it's just super, super slow. It's yeah. not going to be like the professional. I've met people who did the other route in their design journey where, you know, they went to that school in New York, they went into agencies and then they went in-house and they were able, they, like they, they're like, you know, they're able to really know their stuff, right? We, we might be the same age, but our, our journeys are different. And there were times where I'm like, hmm, what if I just did that? Like, it seems like it, it would have been like a lot more straightforward. But for me, I kind of had to like, like weather a lot of this and that. So there were times where I was like very, really like thinking, oh, did I actually go the wrong route? But then now thinking about it, it's kind of, I get, I would say probably not the wrong route because it's different. Well, it's like, the right route for you. And I, a lot of people hear me say like, I'm not a big fan of MBAs or, or structured learning. I think you're going to learn a lot more and get a lot further with real world experience than you would by learning something from a textbook or, or in a classroom setting. Yeah, I guess I think there are, it's like different types of learning for different types of outcomes. So the type of where I was talking about, you know, the person who went to like that art school in New York and then, you know, went through that route. Their work is amazing. I realized that actually they're not probably not suited for startup journey because they're about perfection. So if they're about perfection, then they need to go to like big companies that really need to show that they're like, you know, slick, perfected. Yeah. They look great. But then with that, the, for them to go to a startup and then have to like deal with a lot of like scrappy processes, scrappy things, things not being perfect. It's, it's actually very hard for them to like, be able to adapt to that. Yeah. Whereas if you're really used to this like startup journey, you're kind of like, okay, you know, things aren't going to be perfect. Sometimes you have like a plan in your head and you often have to plan, even though you have a plan for like a future look or a future thing that you want it to be, you still have to ship out what's feasible today. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when you're designing for that, you have to design for a lot of flexibility. Like you have to have like the future in mind, but come up with something that is that like satisfies the interim needs now, but yeah. also positions you for that future outcome that you're looking for. 
Yeah, so it's a lot of designing for flexibility. So one is like flexibility for, for the future and now, and there's also the flexibility of like debate. So for example, right, some person might not like, you know, the approach that you are doing, but they might have like an interesting approach. So how do you, how do you deal with that? I think in the end, what I tend to gravitate towards is I kind of, I read the whole book on something, right? So I'm kind of, I, I try to be the book. And then that other person are, are like different chapters. So they would say, I want A, B, and I want A, C, and Z. And then you're like, okay, so um, those things are in these different chapters of the book. So how do we make that kind of like work together? Because if you if you debate the thing that like directly debate the thing that they want to debate with, you're not going to go anywhere because you're not seeing the big picture. So it's a lot about, um, I think it's a lot about matching the different personalities together and um, knowing how to communicate. So what I mean here is oftentimes I feel like the creative is kind of like, um, it's kind of like the cloth maker. You have to create like this big piece of cloth, right? But then um, the the PM or the project owner person has to be the chisel or like the scissors and like shape it into like the clothing that you want. You have to make it work together. So one is kind of like more of cutting and shaping things. And then the other one is creating a lot of different cloth and ideas to be able to make that dress look really good. Mm -hmm. If you expect the uh, cloth person to be like you, you're not going to get any good results. And if you, if you expect um, the cutting person to be the ideas person, that's not going to work either. You really actually have to have these two like forces together to work together to make that perfect piece of work. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think we're kind of getting back to your HR hat because <laughs> and, and, you probably you, you've recognized this a lot sooner than a lot of other people would have. I'm not sure. I think it's probably really through a lot of like conflict and like back and forth. <laughs> um, I think another thing with the startup journey is it's it, it's a very big personal growth like journey where you're learning from you're learning from your peers. So, for example, I might not have really good. Uh, communication skills, but then you see your other coworker. Oh my gosh, that's a that was a good one. <laughs> like, and you start to learn how yeah. that person responds to people, and you go out and start to learn other other like uh, ways of communication. And and oftentimes, I I kind of use the the startup company as like the kind of also kind of like a testing scene for my own communication. So, for example, right, what if uh, communicating with someone uh, with like family is hard, but like communicating with company isn't that hard, right? So then then it's like, okay, then I need to change a certain way that I communicate. So I need to practice it, right? So maybe I'll just practice it in the company. And then because when you're practicing in the company, the stakes aren't so high, right? Yeah. So it's okay. And then you're kind of like, oh, when I interact with these different people, this is how they react, right? And then you kind of have a model of how to react in a different way than you usually do it. And then you bring it home and then see. Oh, so study and <laughs> analyze the personalities that you have at work and say, okay, my mom is similar to that person. So I'm going to test yeah. how do I break certain types of news or get certain types of outcomes out of them. And then you go back home and you use it on your mom. Yeah, it works. It works really well because then it's like you have a testing ground. It's it's like product, right? But for personalities. <laughs> so it's like I, I found that it's actually it works really well. And you get to like elegantly use your communication skills uh, in different ways. And I find that somehow when your communication skills are better, it elevates everything. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like so, for example, so I feel like the learning, there's like 
horizontal and and vertical, I guess. The, so the horizontal, the vertical one could be like different specialties or different things that you learn, right? But then there's the horizontals, and then the horizontals are more like the communication skills. And sometimes when you get that all like uh, done, like if you get get it all like get it all down, it lifts you to like another place, and mm-hmm. then you're kind of like whoa, actually life is easier because it's not just the startup because you, because you're also using it at home, right? Yeah. Well, the so, team's in better sync. You're, you're able to communicate, not just with your team again, with your family and, and other stakeholders, investors, customers, channel partners. It just all gets elevated. Yeah, but, it all elevates. But they're all different types of personalities that you need to understand how to talk to and what type of value propositions are going to trigger certain responses from them that you want. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a skill set. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I want to jump back to Taiwan now. Mm-hmm. So having built such a great, strong company, a, a large team in Taiwan, what's the magic about Taiwan? Like, why should our listeners look at uh, going to Taiwan, connecting with other Taiwanese companies, maybe even building their own company in Taiwan? Tell us the magic of Taiwan. So Taiwan is great. It's like, uh, one is it's it's also a very close-knit city. So I remember there were times where you could go to like three events per night. It was like everything is close by. You can jump here to there to there. And it's like a lot of different uh, events and and meetups that you can go to. So that part is really cool. Uh, There's a lot of really nice, hardworking, uh, passionate people there. Um, And um, yeah, they're they're like really awesome, different types of talent. Uh, Developer talent is really good. Uh, our ops team is really good uh, and we have like some pretty cool creatives. I'd say perhaps a lot of people or a lot of tech teams that a lot of like startups that come to Taiwan, uh, I think that emphasis is usually on the development team Mm -hmm. because like uh, we have a lot of like very smart and um, like trained developers here well one of the natural things that you think about when it comes to tech in taiwan is semiconductors and, and chips and whatnot but there is a thriving SaaS app startup uh, i think there's some good um vr ar stuff coming out of there oh yeah yeah a lot of vr ar i'm i'm hearing a lot of blockchain companies popping up here and there now too um but yeah i think taiwan is pretty cool in the sense that yeah although it's it's the main industry is semiconductor but uh, Taiwanese people, uh, it, they're also known for being like uh, startup people. And this is even before the tech times. They're saying that uh, the, pers- the the personalities of Taiwan people are like, they, they have a lot of grit. Very so, entrepreneurial. Very uh, entrepreneurial. Willing to tell your children, don't go work for a big four <laughs> <laughs> accounting firm and start your own startup. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's like a very entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, you'll find a lot of really cool, nice people. Um it's a very cool place to be in. Like it's a hip city. So you have like these, you know, department stores and city city views and everything. But then you go into the alleys and then you feel a lot of soul in there because mm-hmm. you have like a lot of like really fun. The carts, the vendors. Yeah, the vendors. You have like the restaurants. Oh, it's like, so Taiwan is the place for logistics. It's like they are so good at logistics. They really, really pamper you. If you leave Taiwan, you feel like, you know, I can't do anything because like in Taiwan, you get food 24-7. Um, 
the 7-Eleven, the convenience store, they make it like really upscale. So you can do everything there. You can like photocopy something, you can mail something, like whatever you can think about, whatever you need, you can get it done there. It's like, it's such a very, it's such an easy to live place. So that's why I guess I would say um, if you have like a hectic, like if you're very active and you want to do many different things, um, yeah, Taiwan is definitely the place to be. Uh, you're always going to have food when you're hungry. You're always going to have <laughs> something to do. And that's, and that's do. such a, a necessity when you're building a startup, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's a, a very, uh, it's a very safe environment. So I would go home late at night and I would never feel like danger. And you would mm. see people just like, you know, very leisurely walking down the streets and you just kind of feel, oh, okay, it's not that late. It doesn't feel late. It's fine. And you'll, you'll just... The reality is like 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... It's the place of convenience. Awesome, Joanne. This has been a fascinating conversation. Love hearing about your journey and, and the evolution of pick collage from, um, uh, uh, sorry, was it friend? Uh, friend stock. Friend stock. And uh, your journey of, of not just being a, a startup entrepreneur, but also diving into your passion of design and, and putting your DNA into pick collage and, and making it what it is today. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you.